Okay, you guys, this is a really important conversation today, and I'm so excited to share it with you. I'll admit I'm a little anxious about it, mostly because there's so much to unpack here, and I want to give this topic the importance it deserves. My friend Quinn Minier and I talk about the book, The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor in this episode. The book is all about body shame and talks a lot about the additional barriers that people living in bodies that have been marginalized or discriminated against face additionally in terms of achieving true body love and acceptance. So when we go back to our three key psychological needs needed for long-term behavior change, the two that are most relevant here are autonomy and relatedness. So as a reminder, autonomy is that freedom of choice without excessive pressure to behave in a certain way. And relatedness is that sense of belonging or connection. So if you're discriminated against because of your body or how it looks, you might have additional barriers to long-term habit changes simply because you have this extra pressure to try to fit into the norm and blend in with your body appearance. And this isn't just a vanity thing. We know that For example, weight bias exists where people are less likely to get jobs or admitted to higher education when they're in a larger body as just one example. Well, when you add on other marginalized identities like marginalized races, sexual orientation, someone with a disability, etc., it adds another layer that makes both self-acceptance harder but also can make it logistically more challenging to freely move around in the world and truly achieve some of the things that you want to achieve with those additional barriers. We aren't going to cover all the important points here. This is really just the start of this conversation, but I truly believe that we need to keep having it even when it's uncomfortable so that all people, regardless of what they look like, believe, who they love, can have access to accurate information about their health and freedom to choose what works best for them. If this topic makes you uncomfortable, well, I get that, but we need to listen, learn, and get uncomfortable in order to grow. We can do hard things, my friends. I know it. On a lighter, more fun note, Before we dive into this conversation, I do need to talk to you guys about an important free opportunity I have coming up. I am running my first free challenge. And this challenge is something I've been thinking about for a really long time, and I'm super excited to share it with you. It will take place in a private Facebook group, although you could actually do it via email only if you really just are like, I'm not getting on social media. I'll be sending out emails and I made this really super cool PDF workbook that's just, I'm so excited to share it with you. So the challenge itself is five days long. It focuses on the how of implementing all the things we talk about in this podcast with a focus on implementing a few health habits like more plants into your eating pattern. This is not a plant-based diet, but it's just how to add more plants and more plant-based meals. Uh, We'll learn one plant-based meal and one super simple plant-based snack, but really more of the focus is on, first of all, zero restriction and implementing changes from an anti-diet mindset. Because I think a lot of times we talk about, you'll hear me on here talk about like, don't have the diet mentality and don't be, you know, be anti-diet. 
But this challenge is going to teach in depth what that looks like and how to actually implement it. So I think it's going to be really valuable. I'm so excited. It's a way to sort of like interact and work with me for free, for fun. And it the doors open to the challenge in the group on Saturday, February 27th, just so we can sort of get you the really short grocery list and get you all set up to go. The first challenge is going to be on Sunday, the 28th, and then we're going to hit the ground running Monday, March 1st. So it's five days. The challenges will take 10 to 20 minutes per day. There's going to be a giveaway at the end. It's just going to be a great time. I really hope you'll join us. To join, make sure you go to drhondorp.com forward slash challenge, and you can sign up there, and then I'll make sure to add you to the group directly when it opens. You should get an email confirming it. And so let me know if you have any questions, but I hope you join there, drhondorp.com forward slash challenge. And just as a reminder, this blog, podcast, as well as this challenge are all for information and educational purposes only. They do not constitute a patient-provider relationship, and they certainly are not a substitute for any form of professional advice, mental health, medical, nutrition, any of the sort. If you have any questions about this, please don't hesitate to ask. All right, so on to this extremely important conversation with Quinn Minier. I'm so glad you're joining us today. Well, hello. Welcome to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to my good friend, Quinn Minier, a board-certified case manager, fellow entrepreneur and podcaster, and mom of four. And Quinn was gracious enough to do this episode today with me, modeled after a podcast I was recently on called The Fat Girl Book Club. And on that podcast, the host and I read a book and discussed it. So Quinn and I will be doing this today with a book that I've been wanting to read since I heard the author, Sonia Renee Taylor, interviewed on Brene Brown's podcast. So Quinn and I both read The Body Is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love, and we are here to discuss it. I'm very grateful to have Quinn here today because not only is she a fellow book lover and I greatly value her opinion, but she is also able to bring the perspective of a Black woman to the podcast, but also to the concepts brought up in this book. So this won't be a comprehensive review of the book, but instead an overview of some of the concepts discussed and some of just our discussion of our experiences as it relates to the book and Uh, thoughts about bodies, basically. And so you're encouraged to basically come in to the room with us, hang out, chat about the book while perhaps sipping on your favorite beverage of choice. So welcome, Quinn. So happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Me too. So Quinn, can you tell the listeners a bit about you? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, as you stated, I identify as a Black woman who is in my mid-30s, which I hate saying, but um, I I accept it. I live in Michigan with my husband and our children. Uh, Career-wise, I am a board-certified case manager, and I specialize in behavioral health, primarily working with adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. That's about it. Awesome. And you, as I mentioned, are a podcaster as well. So make sure you hang out to the end. We'll give you all the details about where you can learn more about Quinn and her podcast and all the cool things she's doing. So Quinn, can you tell us a little bit about your 
personal relationship with food and your body to start off? Yeah. Um, so going back in time, food has always been a staple in our family. Um, culturally, we used to gather on Sundays and holidays for dinner and having grandparents from the South, um, our food was considered um, like Southern cooking. So we had like the not healthiest meals. <laughs> we had like fried chicken, greens, cornbread, you know, things of that nature. But then you have to kind of realize that in the past, um, going way back, Black people were fed scraps, so they made do. So our food, again, is not the healthiest food, but my grandparents uh, became accustomed to that lifestyle and that kind of food. And so that's what they cooked um, growing up. Mm-hmm. And in my teenage years, I think I just ate carbs, like bread, just to stay alive. Um, I wasn't really into eating full meals. And I think I lived off Mountain Dew at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an adult, I still eat food that is true to the Black culture. I do, however, choose healthier options like low sodium, low fat, I substitute turkey meat for ground beef, and I don't eat red meat. Um, however, uh, it, due to my genetic makeup, I am a thicker girl. I have wide hips. I have a big butt and thicker thighs. Um, however, I am perfectly healthy, but my body is not exactly what society would call ideal. So I go through this love-hate relationship with my own body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And because all of this is is vulnerable stuff, right? And and then, Mm -hmm. yeah, so it's sort of in this book, Sonia talks about the, what she calls the default body and sort of this, this, like you said, that ideal that we, we create this, like what the picture of health looks like. And like you said, it sounds like it's influenced sort of your ability to figure out like, what does healthy look like for you? And it's had a negative Mm -hmm. impact in some ways on that. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that just for that context. So yeah, diving into the book a little bit, just a broad picture. What was your overall thoughts about this book? Uh, The body is not an apology. So the book was great. I will say that um, I had moments of, yes, girl, me too. (laughs) But then I had also moments of what the heck is she talking about? (laughs) Um, I wish I opted for the physical book because it was hard to take notes listening to the audible book like I did. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say it's a must read. But if you like Mm -hmm. to listen to books, Sonia has like a great voice and she's so animated and passionate, which made it great to listen to in the experience. Um, And I love how she explains the different types of bodies that we apologize for and how they're viewed as wrong. Um, And it's not just based on race, but also like transgender, disabled bodies, et cetera. Um, I also love when she says, we are the culprits of victimization. So we too have shamed other bodies at the beach, et cetera, but we kind of shame ourselves at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, I kind of love how she actually, and it's my thoughts too, like we inherited these prejudices and we continue to carry those biases with us regardless of like our own internal opinions of our own bodies. And we still carry that out and project that onto other people. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot to unpack in the book and I loved it. I thought it was great. 
Mm-hmm. There absolutely was. And I also listened to it and I agree with you. I love her voice. It was great to listen to, but it's, there is so much to unpack. And that's why I said like, this is not a comprehensive overview because I feel like I could read or listen to that book many times and continue to internalize some really positive stuff. I think she had a million quotes that you could have pulled out there. And I think as we, um, when I promote this podcast, I'll probably do that because there's so much there. There's so much good. And yeah, she really, that's how I first heard about this book when she was interviewed on Brene Brown's podcast and this idea that you know, she really tied this idea of body shame in a way that really relates to a lot of different social issues and a lot of different groups of individuals, like you said, um, with diverse sexual orientations and um, sort of ableism or discrimination against disabled bodies and obviously the against different Uh races and how that all relates to kind of tying it back to a lot of what we talk about with this podcast is this idea of like relatedness and how to establish long-term motivation is like connection with others and making others feel loved and accepted and how many ways we we don't do that so yeah there's a lot to unpack like you said there's a lot (laughs) definitely a lot so and she talks about, obviously, the subtitle of the book is The Power of Radical Self-Love. And she talks about that as sort of different than accept self-acceptance. And it's sort of almost like more powerful, radical self-love. We need a powerful antidote to the body shame that we experience. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the differences you've seen in the Black community when it comes to developing a radical self-love relationship with your body? What have been things you've noticed or um, any challenges, positive things? Um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack with this question too. Um, so I would say radical self-love in the black community and in black body can't begin until there's like an acceptance of the black body. So there, there's a lot there. Um, Mm -hmm. And then this goes back to the days when Black people were enslaved, where the Black body was used as an object rather than a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like Sonia points out in her book, where in the Constitution, original Constitution, Black bodies were only three-fifths of a person. So we weren't a whole person. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we kind of have to remember the beginning and then mm-hmm. kind of go back. So I think that affects the Black community. And then... Um, after that came colorism. So it's like light skin versus dark skin and the lighter skin was more preferable. Um, So the black community has come a long way of accepting our own bodies as beautiful, our curves as being womanly, our thick legs as being strong and loving the skin that we are in. Um, But society itself is behind. Yeah. We're fighting an uphill battle all the time. Mm-hmm. all the time. And so we inherited to this body shame, you know, and stereotypes that society embedded in us. But I believe overall we're getting better, but I think there's a lot of the past still um like in our psyche and our mental minds like okay, society is not accepting our body, but we have to accept our own worth. So there's a lot like I said to unpack there, but you have mm-hmm. to go back to the beginning. But we're getting there. I will say we're getting there. Yeah, there's just a lot of layers to it. And that's what this book highlights how bad we are at promoting body shame across 
all people. And then there's all these different layers as you add different, she talks about the intersections of different identities. And as you add different identities, and certainly the Black community has had many additional barriers to body acceptance and and wholeness, like you said, that sort of three-fifths example. And that is makes your hill steeper. It's already a steep enough hill to climb and it's making it just steeper. And we don't. It's, Unfortunately, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. She also discusses this idea of poodle science as a way to describe lack of appreciation for body diversity. So just really quick for the listeners, this is a concept that was new to me. Um, and so there's a there's a little YouTube video on it if anyone wants to go and check it out. But it's basically based on the idea that um, kind of poodles, and I'm putting that in quotes, sort of indicating the white majority culture conducts health research and measurements that are based on the white majority culture, doesn't take into account the fact that diversity is inherent in our culture, poodle bodies aren't going to look or weigh the same as say mastiff bodies. That's what the the video uses those examples. And for poodles to come in and say, tell mastiffs they need to lose weight, make their body look like poodles isn't helpful or healthy for the mastiff. So that's my general sum summary of it. I'm, I sh- could be botching it, but what, what were your thoughts about that analogy and this idea of sort of poodle science? Okay, first of all, I think it's funny that she calls it poodle science. I'm sorry, but it, it's just funny to say, mm-hmm. but I get what she's saying and all the praise to Sonia because I wholeheartedly agree. Um, we are not all the same. And obviously poodles and massives are two different breeds. Mm-hmm. And yes, white bodies and a body of color are both bodies, but they have different genetic makeups, cultural factors, body types and biological factors that need to be considered um, in health research. You know, she's mm-hmm. talking about research as far as uh, the poodle science And we also carry our weight differently for the most part. So we can't really, of course, compare the two and put them all together because they are a poodle and a mastiff, two different bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, like you said, that sort of the breed thing is like a little bit hard to wrap your head around, but it's sort of just an Mm -hmm. illustration of the point, right? And so just this lack of appreciation for diverse bodies and um yeah so yeah and this kind of relates to my next question um prior to this book what had your exposure been to sort of health at every size based information suggestions um related what did you think the body mass index meant in in terms of relationship to health another great question um so I was always aware that size doesn't really matter in regards to health and how healthy you are. Um, That was not really something we focused on growing up because, again, there was a lot of things in our culture that, yes, we wanted to be healthy, but looking at our size wasn't important um, Mm -hmm. because we are obviously different, made up different. Everyone has a different size body. But um, I haven't done any research or anything of that sorts personally. So again, it wasn't really that important to me. Um, I just know in my own size, I am healthy and I can't base what mainstream society says goals. Um, I personally don't and never liked the idea of the BMI scale. I mean, I don't know who really does like the idea of a BMI scale. 
So what was explained to me from health professionals was the BMI was like an indicator on if someone was in quote, uh, normal range versus obese or morbidly obese. And as far as me, when I worked in healthcare, you know, I, I knew the ranges really made no sense. Um, I've seen thin people have what is considered a normal BMI, but have several health problems. And then on the flip side, I see people who were in obese ranges, not have any health issues. Mm-hmm. So the BMI is not really based on much evidence um, when it comes to diverse range of bodies. Mm-hmm. It's a useless tool, really. And prior to working in healthcare, I just believed what my doctor told me. I would say in the last few years, I've seen more pictures of like models who are every size and loving themselves. For example, Ashley Graham. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's you know, a larger woman, she's very confident, she's a model, and she's bold, and she puts herself out there, even though she gets body shamed by the trolls on social media, don't accept help to every size, but she's beautiful, she's gorgeous, she's brave, and so to me, that's like, the average woman is what, like a size 16, and so she's putting health to every size out there, because she's a healthy woman, Yeah. Um, and then on flip side. I love Oprah. I really love Oprah. I consider her a a positive influence, but as a woman of color and being a thicker woman, bigger woman, she always is promoting dieting and changing how she looks and how we should change. And she promotes like WW, which was Weight Watchers. And she has so much influence And I feel like she could promote health at every size rather than dieting. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot to, again, unpack in that question, but health at every size needs to be brought to the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you, to some extent, had sort of this questioning of BMI as a really accurate measure and somewhat, um, some of that was instilled a little bit but maybe kind of increasingly across your life and you've gotten more information and sort of more reason to question. And then obviously there's more, some people promoting that a little bit more broadly, right. In terms of like um, Mm -hmm. certain models, but it's interesting because I think, yeah, it was sort of my, I was just curious. I know you and I have talked a, a little bit about this, you know, offline before this discussion, but this, and I think that that term health at every size means probably a number of different things to different people. Um, Sometimes I think about it as like some of the research studies in that body of research, but it's also become sort of a social movement. And, and so that's sort of a a whole nother discussion, but, um, but yeah, it's, it sounds like it's always sort of had, you've kind of had this bug in your ear that like this, this doesn't make sense the way we're thinking about it. It's not helpful. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm you're kind of hoping that we can continue to expand our views in, in how we think about health. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, like me growing up, it's not really something we talked about, but then as I get older, you know, I have to do the research on my own or, you know, there's just so many elements to, like you said, we can interpret it different ways. And so it's like, eh, if we can get the conversation going, mm-hmm. it would be the best thing for all of us. That'd be ideal. That's what we're trying to do here, right? With all yes. <laughs> your podcast, yes, my podcast. Right. <laughs> um, <Yes>, exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I, I mean, my next question was, you know, how does learning this information impact your view of your health or your body? I, we kind of talked about that a little bit. I don't know if there's anything else to add there from your perspective. Um, I would say, first, I, I learned that I'm not alone in thinking that our culture is set up to view bodies as bad or good. And I think in the book, too, she goes through that, you know, I mean, we're not alone. And a lot of the things that Sonia said, I resonate with, you know, her experiences is like, oh, I experienced that, too. Or um, just overall, like, like she was saying, like, there's different types of bodies. It's not just a bigger body or a smaller body. There's a diverse element of the body. There's white, there's black, there's Latina, there's all cultures. And then there's able body, there's transgender body, there's sexual orientation, there's so many elements to it. So I just feel like for my own self, the idea of body acceptance is another form of oppression. And, you know, myself as a black woman, I mean, obviously I've dealt with oppression. You had enough of that. Yeah. yeah, I've had enough, you know, I'm all set with that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's like, I can accept to love myself, but that doesn't mean the world is ready to accept a woman like me, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, yeah, the feeling less alone is obviously good. Did you feel like it made take, took any of that? I mean, it's so hard. Cause we, again, we're fighting this uphill battle. So I'm not saying like, Oh, did it just like relief all this pressure, but did, I mean, did it take away some of that pressure of, I should change my body or I should do some different things for health quote unquote. Um, I think for sure, mental health, um, and acceptance of myself mm-hmm. and striving for that radical self-love, which she went through like several definitions of it. And I guess it's up into interpretation of how you want to take it. But I think I kind of did take a deep breath and like a sigh of relief, like, okay, yes, I'm not alone. First off, secondly, it has to be a mental shift. And then like, yeah, I can still kind of stick to like what I want for myself as like body image, but at the same time, I have to just go internally. So I think it's a, the book itself kind of opened my eyes to what I'm struggling with mentally. Mm, yeah. So it was more of a mental shift then. So in some of that, maybe that like yeah, less pressure of I need to be different and less shame and less like remove mm-hmm. some of the body shame. Yep, exactly. Yeah. She, it's a good segue to how Sonia talks a lot about the early and frequent ways we shame people related to their bodies and any differences. And we touched on that a little bit. What has your experience with body shame been like? And I know that's a, a broad question. You can answer in whatever way you see fit but yeah well another great question um I think assumptions are typically made in healthcare. um so I've experienced this personally on more than one occasion so going to say my primary care doctor and just going to them for maybe I'm just not feeling well or I'm going for a physical and they actually evaluate me just by what I'm saying. And then they take their own interpretation and say like, well, maybe if you just exercise more or, you know, they take your, your 
weight when you first go in. They take your weight and they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe if you just lost a few pounds and it's like, oh, hold on, you know, I'm not here for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm here just for, you know, my stomach hurts or whatever, but then yeah. they do blood work and it comes back completely normal. And they're like, oh, well, you know, your cholesterol is really good and you're not diabetic and X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, you kind of like shamed me when I first came, first of all, mm-hmm. you assumed because of the weight on the scale that my blood work was going to come back in a negative sense. So I think that's like my first experience with body shame is from my healthcare providers. Yeah. And yeah. And then like publicly, I feel like I've dealt with shame. Um, like if I gone into a store and you know how they have the salesperson right there and they're greeting you and they're like, well, our plus size is back there or we don't sell plus size. I'm like, I don't even wear plus size. What are you talking about? Like people have I said have, that to you. Oh yeah, definitely. Wow. And I'll, I would say that like, um, sorry, but I don't wear a plus size and I'll just walk out the store. And yeah. it's like, you automatically assumed because I have curves that I wear a plus size mm-hmm. and heaven forbid it was a woman that wore a plus size. And the first thing you said to her was our plus size is in the back. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think, yeah, that was my experience of body shame. It's sad to think that other women have to go through that too. Yeah, and all these, and and it's sort of the more I hear about it, and I've heard a lot of different stories. It's like you don't ever feel fully safe because mm-hmm. these sort of assaults on on your personhood or your body can happen at any time, and it's it's uh, and especially in, in the healthcare setting this is obviously often a very vulnerable thing to go ask for help for anything and i know you struggle with it cuz you're my friend but it's right i mean and then you're in this place where this is supposed to be yeah it a safe place and then you end up feeling much worse and that is mm-hmm. it the the overemphasis on weight is extremely prevalent in healthcare and the discrimination bias based on a number of things, including weight is a major mm-hmm. problem that we have to continue to be discussing. And um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's the, again, it's sort of like, it's like you said, we're all shaming each other all the time. It's just uh, so pervasive so early. And even the stats, I, I forget the stats off the top of my head, but of just how early girls start dieting and hating their bodies. And, and certainly we're just given this message, like your body's not okay over and over. And you hope that it is improving, but you know, you got to question it because it's obviously a major problem. So. And to that point, I mean, I have a teenage daughter and oh my gosh, it has already started. And it's like, Oh mom, I have to do more sit-ups and it's like, girl, you're still wearing clothes that you probably wore in third grade because you're a slim girl. Like, what are you talking about right now? And yeah. I have to reassure, and I feel like it starts at home. You know, I have to reassure who cares what you see on social media or the commercials or the show Dance Moms that you keep watching. Oh, you no. don't have to look like this. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. You're beautiful. And gosh, it's like, well, I, I weigh... 
120 pounds. Well, you're kind of tall for your age and you're very thin, <laughs> like you're still in children's clothing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and, you're and even women's if, <laughs> right. Like it's just, yeah, it's so pervasive. It's that we're bombarded. We don't even realize it. It's like, we're just, um, mm-hmm. we're breathing the air of body shame and lack of appreciation for diversity all the time. And we don't even realize it until we start to really take that veil off and take a look at it. And yeah, that breaks my heart. My daughter's and my daughter's at the age where I'm sure you can maybe relate with your son, but um, like they love their bodies when they're young. They, and Sonia talks about that. Like kids are into their bodies. They think that like, whoa, toes. And like, they're just pumped about, they're like, I've watched my son just sort of like, like, explore and figure out like what is this thing about it? it's like and my daughter is still and she's in this like I'm beautiful and like loves to watch herself dance but I mean she's three and a half exactly. and I, I hope it stays as long as possible but it's it's concerning we need to make a shift it, yes definitely everyone That's but especially point. girls yeah. girls especially yes. but everyone everyone needs and deserves to learn to love and trust and respect their body throughout their lifespan mm-hmm. and feel safe that they're not going to get body shamed oh, exactly. we got a lot of work to do but yes we do you and i've talked in the past about you know we've talked about these things for several months and we've talked about the concept of body shaming actually going to the other extreme for example people being shamed for having a weight loss as a goal for themselves and people having thoughts about that. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Is it okay to have weight loss be a goal? Like where, what do we think? Absolutely. Who are we to tell someone they can't have a goal for themselves, even if it is to lose weight. I mean, this comes with a disclaimer. If someone's trying to lose weight and they're already underweight or at an unhealthy stage, then I wouldn't be for it. But if someone had like, has gained weight over the years and they want to get back to a certain actual weight, like a number, uh, because of when they were the previous weight, they felt confident and their mental health was good. And they want to get back to that because that's how they felt. It was about wellness. Then absolutely go for it, you know, but using it, weight loss as a healthy thing and not a means of restriction and aggressive measures and, you know, just overall unhealthy. I mean, I've seen every extreme, you know, for myself, I mean, I'm still holding on to baby weight three years after I've had my child. And of course I have weight loss goals. Um, I feel like I should be what I was three and a half years ago, but it's, because of my own internal struggles, you know, and it doesn't say anywhere that I can't have that goal. But when other people and influencers say, oh, no, you can't have a weight loss goal. It's just all about exercising and that's it. Then I think that's kind of like detrimental to someone's health and wellness and mentally. I mean, obviously I work in behavioral health. So it's always about a mental thing, you know, if, yeah. if they feel confident enough at a certain weight and number, then let them be at that number unless it's unhealthy for them. Yeah. And ultimately, I mean, I feel like I talk a ton. Well, I'll probably continue to talk all the time about autonomy. I mean, it's like the shame, no matter what we're shaming people for, it's unhelpful and not Mm -hmm. doing anyone any good. And yet we keep doing it. And ultimately, yeah, it's their body, right? Like they get the cool thing is 
it is our bodies. Hopefully, you know, there aren't systemic reasons we're not having control of our body, right? But it's time to give people that mm-hmm. control and let them make the choices for themselves that they see fit. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm with you. I agree. Autonomy, man. It's the name <laughs> of the game. Yes. <laughs> it's what it's all about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and I think we already kind of touched on this. So we can skip over this question if we've already touched on it enough, but in terms of your experiences with weight bias with healthcare providers, is there anything else to add there besides what we've talked about? I would say that, again, like I said earlier, um, I've had healthcare providers on the very first visit tell me like, if I'm not feeling well, I must be depressed and that I need to be more active. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? You know, what does that have to do with what I'm telling you right now? Mm-hmm. And um, also I've had healthcare providers use statistics and the BMI scale that has no proven evidence on using my race, my background, my cultural factors in the first place, and thinking about the cultural dynamics of what I eat as a Black person compared to whatever their statistics are telling them, they don't take that into account at all in my Mm -hmm. treatment. And I think that's why now as like our culture and our society has kind of shifted in the last year where it's all coming to the forefront of we need more like black healthcare providers, black um, psychologists and everything else because we're not being heard when it comes to uh, the healthcare level Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's not hundred percent of the time. I mean, right now I have an excellent provider. Yeah. She actually listens, but she's also Good. younger, which she may be younger than me. You know, she's like maybe late twenties. And so she gets it. Mm-hmm. But when I was going to an older provider who's using these old statistics and these old measures, they're just not taking into account the overall picture. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely say that, I mean, I've had a lot of experiences with weight bias with healthcare providers, but unless we change what they're learning in medical school, or we're changing the education surrounding diversity, nothing's going to change. Yeah. So again, so many levels uh, of this. And so, but the, the good thing is, I think there are people that are willing to learn and, but we got a lot to learn. It's yeah, that's true. Yeah. Always. The good thing is learning can be fun. You and I love learning. So yeah, <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> I know I have a ton to still learn and I'm learning about lots of stuff every day, but certainly all of these social issues and that we're talking about here is, uh, is an area that I'm going to continue to learn and I got a lot to learn. So that's a good thing though. You, I mean, you're asking the questions. Mm-hmm. And so you're making that first step. I mean, like right now, you're asking me these questions and really trying to dig deep and listen to my responses rather than just going based off of what you learned in a book, you know, and not asking a real person. So I yeah. appreciate that, Sean. I really do appreciate you having me here and asking me these questions and doing the research on your own and not just, okay, well, whatever media said this, so I'm going to go with it. You know, I mean, the first yeah. step is asking questions. Yeah. Real people, real stories. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that. You're the best. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being willing to answer, you know, in terms of 
you know, when we think about being unapologetic about your body, what does that look like? And in what ways have you been or are you apologizing for your body now, if any, that you might try to change? I think I will become unapologetic when I can love the skin that I am in, accept all of my curves and accept who I am when I walk into a room feeling confident in my jeans rather than if my jeans make me look bigger. And I want to own the space that I take up and not feel bad about it. Love that. Yeah. So that's kind of, yeah, you're sort of projecting that, like, this is what I want to feel. This is how I want to, basically how Mm -hmm. I want to feel. It comes down to feeling, right? Like, it's not really about size or shape or number on the scale. It's about a feeling, a feeling of confidence, a feeling of empowerment and feeling good in your skin. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yep. Who doesn't want that? I love it. So uh, the topics in this book, like we said, can feel like a lot. Sonia delivers it in a way that feels somewhat intense in the, in terms of the topics, but certainly true. And, and I feel like she also is like giving you a warm hug. Like she kind of gives this message, like we don't need to feel shame for, for being a part of the body shame and all the systems that promote it. And there are things that we can do to change it. So some of the things that in terms of what the listeners can do that can, they can take with them that I will, that you and I've kind of talked about before, but that we'll note is continuing to be open, have these conversations with, with people in your life about the fact that we need to rethink our definitions of health to support the health of everyone. Mm -hmm. So that'd be one, one main point. Number two, um, working on radical self-love in ourselves is really actually going to help promote it and be a better able to support others getting there. So the good thing is we don't have to make people think a certain way. We can do our own internal work, read the book, you know, and talk about these things and, and that can help support others getting there. And really number three, practice, 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 not shaming others, whether you have fully given up on any weight loss as a goal or not. It doesn't matter. That's hundred percent your choice, your body. So we can approach people, share what's been useful to us, be courageous. And you never know how your story might impact someone, but also telling them what they should do is never going to work. That when has that ever worked? And it's probably going to be counterproductive. So these are all things that we can actually control and do. And I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. What you said is all good points. Um, I would just add that not only myself, but anyone listening, we have to accept that our weight on a scale does not define who we are and it does not define your health overall. If we can change our mindset, work there first, and then, then look at how we view ourselves and accept it. Um, again, the radical self-love, I recommend anyone reads this book. I mean, there's so many different stories and different scenarios. Like we said that Sonia goes over and it's not just about weight. It's about everything about our bodies and ourself and just loving ourselves and accepting ourselves for who we really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's powerful. And yeah, we didn't mention that, but it's like it, she does go into 
just like <laughs> I laughed at the saying sorry part because I say sorry all the time oh. <laughs> and uh, she said like why are we apologizing and she said she grew up doing that and uh, but it's sort of yeah we're just like a- apologizing for so much of what we do and say and I am yeah, very I guilty that of that. <laughs> I really laughed at that too because I was like oh my gosh I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's I'm kind of like somewhat of a Midwest thing like you're just like Ooh, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> like, a little right. apologetic sometimes. Like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Stop uh, saying sorry. Yeah, <laughs> That's the message. Exactly. <laughs> um, what are some things that you would love to see change in the world as it relates to how we think of our bodies? I would love to see more conversation about body acceptance beginning at the school level. And throughout media and um, just how our kids are consuming information, I think it starts there because we said babies accept their bodies. They love their bodies. They're curious about their bodies. But once you hit a certain age and stage, starting before puberty, really, I would think that we need to kind of incorporate that in education, body acceptance and at home. Um, I would love to see more acceptance of body size, gender, race, ethnicity, etc. I mean, just the overall concept of diversity. We're all different, but that makes us a whole person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a whole society. If we we're all the same, then it'll be boring. So I think mm-hmm. our world just needs to adapt to the change in acceptance. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so smart to be starting early because I think there's really good, I think Sonia even cites something about like, I think it starts as early as like five that can start incredibly early and we need to have a comprehensive approach that involves school certainly and and many other things. So I, I love that. And that's absolutely going to be way more likely to promote health than more weight loss dieting in the effect in the ways that we've talked about it and how it's ineffective on this podcast but definitely definitely well I love that and um you're doing a lot of exciting fun things and so where can people learn more about you and all the awesome things that you're doing well um I can be found on Instagram at Quinn that's Q-U-I-N-N underscore Brown, B-R-O-W-N. I also have a podcast called Mama's Morning Cup, (laughs) and it is streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. And on the podcasts, us mamas kind of discuss the five pillars of inspiration, health, career, family, and of course, the love of books and reading. So check me out there. Yeah, you already, you launched the same time I did. So it's brand new, but you already have some really uh, awesome interviews. Not just talking about myself, mine's not out yet, but you you really, yeah, solo shows and interviews. Um, already a lot mm-hmm. of people have gotten a lot of benefit from those interviews. So I highly recommend it. So, well, well wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, thank yeah, you so here. much for being here. <laughs> it's been an honor and thanks for sharing your experience with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you so much to Quinn for sharing her experience. I'm so incredibly humbled and grateful just to be able to have this conversation with her. Like I said, I think it's so important. And I hope 
that you got value out of this. If you did, please let me know. I'd love to hear from you. You can leave a review for the show. I, I always read those and I so appreciate them. Or you can send me a message at support at drshawnhondorf.com. And just as a reminder, if you didn't already hear about that five-day challenge that's going to open on February 27th, please make sure you go to drhondorp.com forward slash challenge to make sure you don't miss that. It's the first one I'm doing. I do think I'll do more. So if you are listening to this at a later date and you're like, oh, bummer, I missed it, make sure you still sign up there to be on the wait list for the time we do the next challenge. But if it's before the 27th of February, make sure you join us. I think it's going to be so much fun all 10 to 20 minutes per day, really quick, easy wins to implement some cool changes in your life, but do so really from a internal, autonomous, taking control, positive mindset versus the diet mindset. So I can't wait to see you there. drhondorp.com forward slash challenge. Thank you for joining us today in this important conversation and have a wonderful day.